Hi, and welcome to another recording of the Encouraging Word podcast. And um, Paul and I are excited um, to come again today, and we're going to continue our series of talking about Adam Hamilton's book, Incarnation. Um, I know a lot of people around the church are currently in an Advent study who are reading this book, and um, it's really, um, I find it exciting, and I, I really like um, being involved in what this the church-wide um, this church-wide study that we're all doing, that we're all learning together. Um, I think it really helps us um, feel like a church body in, in the sense that we're all seeking Christ, um, all reading um, the same word. And, um, and prayerfully, um, it's helping um, you grow in your um, walk with Christ. And, and I think for Paul and I, I will speak for Paul too. I think Paul's growing as well in, in, his, in his study of, of this book. But um, it's been really good. And so we're going to continue that today. We're going to be looking at chapter two. We have several quotes that we picked out um, that um, from this chapter that we're going to discuss. And um, hopefully you can use this as um, supplement material um, to your group um, that as you study the book, hopefully this could be good supplement material for that. Um, before um, we get to that, we're going to do our fit segment, something funny, interesting and thought provoking. So we're going to begin with Paul. We, um, you may not know this, but Paul literally took the last 30 minutes to think of something. But I think he's ready. I think he's ready now, though. <laughs> it, was, it was a painful 30 minutes, <laughs> let me tell you. This reminds me of how uninteresting and funny and thought-provoking <laughs> my life really is. But And uh, I try to encourage him. I said, your life is funny. It, it's, just, it's funny. Everywhere you go, it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's funny to everybody else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just can't see the humor in it, but. But, uh, yeah, even after 30 minutes of um, just uh, painstaking work coming up with something, the best I have to offer you, friends, is my my reading list uh, recently. But I thought if, if there's any readers out there, they might find that interesting um, or thought-provoking or, or maybe funny in all or the wrong weird. ways. Or weird. Or weird, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, anyhow, in, in recent months, I've uh, committed myself uh, to, to getting back to reading some of the classics because I think I've for many years uh, fallen into the habit of just reading whatever plops in front of me or, or getting caught up in a, you know, one of our, our modern day authors that uh, writes you know novels that maybe doesn't necessarily have the, the depth of meaning or purpose or value in it, um, but <laughs> is an easy, enjoyable read. I, I don't want to be that guy. So. Um, some some of the things I've been reading recently, and I, I kind of have uh, fallen into that that habit of googling, just googling, you know, what are the books everyone should read, or the hundred greatest classics, or something. So that's where I pulled some of these. But I started uh, a while back with uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Seems to be at the top of almost every one of those lists. Uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged. I, I read. Um, Alice's Adventure in Wonderland, and, and I'm not at all shying away from these uh, juvenile fiction books because I think there's some value in those two. Uh, Night by Eli Wiesel, uh, 1984. We read uh, uh, Working on, uh, or I'm sorry, just finished The Outsiders, uh, just finished Crime and Punishment, which I always thought was like, I put that in the category of War and Peace. I always got those two mixed up, and I just figured they were both like, 8,000 page books that I would never venture into but uh, Crime and Punishment I, I was able to finish and then right now I'm working on 
um, Animal Farm, which is something I think I was supposed to read in like fifth grade. <laughs> right. And the the audiobook version's about an hour long, so it's uh, it's yeah, not going to be too daunting a task. And then The Alchemist uh, I just started, which has been interesting thus far. And Steven's making funny faces. <laughs> <laughs> like he uh, recognizes some of these titles and wonders oh where where I, I went off track and yeah, my them. Well, my thought is just like some of those I, I know, Animal Farm I know is I read in school. Like it's just, I think some of them, um, Killing Markenburg, I think I read in school as well. So uh, maybe you just missed English class. Is that well, it? <laughs> <laughs> as long as there's no uh, uh, children listening or, or youth, <laughs> if they are plugged, plug their ears. But um, yeah, I, I had this habit going through uh, high school and such where when I was invited to uh, summer reading or reading specific books for school, I had a tendency to to uh, first thing see if there was a, a movie version of oh, this yeah, uh, of story. And in a few cases, I was able to successfully pull that off. But I don't recommend that because you, you're <laughs> cheating yourself out of the incredible experience of reading the, the valuable text itself. Right. Yeah. Well, for me, it was Spark Notes. Uh, Spark Notes gave you a quick summary of the book. They yeah. give you a summary of each chapter of the book. So, um, yeah, I use that to get, get through some things in college. Not all. Some <laughs> books. Just a few. Just a few, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's and that's pretty. It's a pretty impressive book list there. You got going. How many how many books have you read this year? Ah, uh, jeez. Well, these are just the classics. I I also um always trying to read some sort of a ministry help book to help me <laughs> figure right. out all the things I need to improve at ministry. So, uh, it, it'd be tough to say. Maybe I don't know. Probably around ten or twelve. Nothing compared to. Uh, some of our heavy readers out there. Right. So I don't um, devote as much time to yeah. it as I could. Do you consider should. listening to audiobooks as, does that count as reading the book? I guess that's the assumption I was <laughs> making throughout this entire conversation or else my my fit segment piece is <laughs> totally so worthless. It's it's all it's all falsified. Yeah. yeah uh, if a, a book has an audiobook option, that's what I tend to do because I read and walk and it's easier to walk right. while uh, you don't have a book in right. your hand or your eyes glued on a book. But um, yeah, some of the books I I do prefer if it wasn't for that fact, I'd prefer to have the book in my hand. Right. Yeah. I just, I just know me and my sister are big readers too. And I use an audiobook and I use, so I listen to it and I'll read it on my phone at the same time. Um, but my sister, we had the debate is listening to audio reading or not reading, which usually when I, usually when I look at the debate, people say it falls towards reading. So you're, well, you're safe. I appreciate yeah. that. You're safe. Just yeah. don't talk to my sister about it. Cause she, she may discredit you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, well, I mean, you don't have the actual words in front of you. So there's something right. lacking there when you're not really connecting visually with the English language right. as you read. So. Yeah. But technically when you're reading, you're you're technically reading it to yourself unaudibly, right? Does that make sense? In your in your head, you're yeah, kind of head, you're imagine, like almost imagining the words. Or, right, yeah. or in your head, you're imagining a narrator speaking to you anyways. It's just now I, you hear the narrator. I think that, and I hope that's partially right. true. Thanks for making that's, me feel that's better. That's how man. we'll justify it. So okay. There we go. <laughs> All right. Um, for my fit segment, um, um one thing that I've been following, especially since my family got COVID um, in early November, 
um, and had a lot of time to just <laughs> explore different stuff. But one thing that I've really been watching now is disc golf. Uh, I've been watching like professional disc golf on YouTube, and uh, it's been really good. It's um, I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's just it's kind of fascinating what these guys can do um, with this plastic disc. <laughs> uh, I'm also shocked about how many different discs there are. And if you don't know what disc golf is, I think most people would know it, but you're basically taking a Frisbee and you're, it's just like golf. You know, there's, instead of a hole, there's a basket that you're throwing a Frisbee towards. Um, and you have like three shots to make it to the basket and to throw it inside the basket. Um, now that's a super simplified version of it because there's, it's not these discs, they're not really frisbees, because um, I know Paul does a little bit of disc golf too, but they're more disc, right? Yeah, they, they are discs. They're smoller. They're um, sol- more solidly right. built. Of course, right. a little denser, but uh, and they would for the purpose of flying further and more right. accurately. Yeah. Right, and some take major curves. Some are meant to roll. Some are meant to different angles I mean, it, it's a lot more complicated than just your typical frisbee for sure um but i've really enjoyed it I, and i think it's something i kind of dabbled in in college but then stopped for a long time and then now i think i might want to get back to it in the summer um but yeah it's it's been really a lot of fun um and then the last one i have that's what category would this fall into but i follow motor motor racing and formula one and the two guys leading um, the points are tied, and the big race is this Sunday. So it's like a Super Bowl for me, without anyone knowing about it. <laughs> so <laughs> you're not hosting a right an F1 championship yeah, party or anything. Yeah, we should though. Uh, but if you have Netflix, you could click on a uh, Find Drive to Survive, and that's all about Formula One. Um, it's really good if you're new, if you if you're into motorsports. Um, watch Dry to Survive, and it kind of give you a little bit of uh, what F1 is all about. But, yeah, those are mine. I so feel like um, sometimes I admire people who have progressed. I, I say progressed because I think it's partially true beyond the typical American sports right. that everybody obsesses over. Because right. I, I think there comes a point where either some of the, the politics within them get right. so ridiculous or – uh, you know, they're just not there's there, right. there are other options out there. Right. And, and some of them are, are uh, you know, engage you with different different right. concepts and experiences. Right. And F1's an international sport. So yeah. you have that opportunity to uh, learn about, you know, their nationalities and drivers and such. And, right. you know, uh, disc golf is a, uh, a world in itself. And right. Yeah. So right. I, yeah, I commend that you. That's true. Now I see like I'm just talking about all these fringe sports. Another one I've watched on YouTube is a. Uh, competitive tag have you ever watched that <laughs> i'm As serious opposed to uncompetitive yeah tag? opposed to like kids playing tag in the in the oh, gym well, like, it can get pretty competitive this, though i mean that's true, <laughs> that's true. lots of uh gym floor burns yeah from- i mean i guess you could say professional tag okay um it's pretty crazy it's uh that's actually a good watch too i've watched a few of those it's like um there's like these stairs and ramps and bars and all these things that people have to jump around and dodge and there's someone chasing them because it's tag but it's uh it's really good actually too wow. so i, yeah. I kind of feel like uh, this is a sign of something <laughs> not as healthy like uh, adults are regressing right, right. With, like the big things this past year apparently are competitive tag and coloring books yeah yeah <laughs> adult coloring, coloring yeah, books right. <laughs> who can color the page of fastest yeah yeah 
Okay. Well, um, yeah. I guess I need to find that YouTube channel or something. Right. There you go. Yeah. Let's just look it up. Well, on to um, more important matters. Uh, thank you, Adam Hamilton, for this wonderful book, Incarnation, Rediscovering the Significance of Christmas. And we are uh, probing into Chapter 2. And our first uh, set of quotes, because we, uh, Stephen and I thought these two kind of went hand in hand, so we'll throw them out there for you. Um, and you can find this first one on page 48 if you're fortunate enough to have the book in front of you. But this is uh, talking about the, the origin of the name of Jesus. Jesus is an anglicized version of the Greek version of his name, but the Hebrew is Yeshua, a shortened version of Yehoshua. It comes from the personal name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh, and the word for to save or to deliver, Yasha. Yeshua, therefore, means God saves, God delivers, or God helps. So uh, real quick, I don't know if, if uh, folks are aware of this, but the reason it's significant, the, the Greek version of his name, the Hebrew version, is because the Bible is written primarily in, in Hebrew and Greek. Hebrew, the Old Testament, Greek, and the New Testament. Those are the original uh, the original text are, are written in those languages and, of course, have been interpreted into other uh, languages over the years as well. But, uh, yeah, the, the etymology of the, the name Jesus uh, goes back to these other concepts of, um, of Yehoshua, Yeshua, uh, Yahweh, the, the name for God in the Old Testament, and uh, ultimately evolved into uh, Jesus, which means God, God saves or God delivers. And then I'll add to that this uh, second quote from uh, the end of page 50 into 51. I'd say that the salvation Jesus offers is far more expansive than simply forgiveness and deliverance from hell. Uh, and then continuing on 51, there are many ways in which Jesus saves us and many things he saves us from. So the name Jesus means uh, God saves, and, and this is precisely what God told uh, Joseph and Mary to, to name their child, to name him Jesus, and this was uh, God's way of or foreshadowing exactly who Jesus would be, and God had been actually doing that uh, throughout all of Scripture, foreshadowing the coming of his Messiah and uh, the type of life he would live and the character he would, he would present. And uh, the names Jesus and the, the word Emmanuel are, are attached to him uh, even before he's born. And so uh, my, my uh, take on this really is that God could not have made it more clear <laughs> who, uh, who he was sending and what significance his life was going to have. Um, he spelled it out very clearly in, in the names and, and the prophecies about his life. Uh, but he, he made it clear who he was and what he was about, but he also didn't uh, compromise his character and his identity in doing so. So uh, God saves, so Jesus, uh, otherwise God saves, was coming into the world. Oh, and by the way, he was doing it in the form of a baby in an animal stall. Okay, so, you know, God, just in, in those simple concepts, and, and the name attached to this uh, person and the fact that it, it was a baby born in an animal feeder uh, trough, that um, this is this is God's decision, very intentional decision of how he was going to reveal himself to humanity. And I think uh, even without going into Jesus' life and, and any other parts of the, the Christmas story, just looking at, at that it says a lot to us about who God is, 
what he's about and uh, his his desire uh, to love and, and save his people. Um, I think very much so. And then I'll, I'll let Stephen comment on that. But then we have the second quote that takes that the next step from God saves to what is it? What does salvation mean to us? Um, and, and maybe how that's uh, progressed and how we changed our, our view on what salvation is, what it means to be saved at different points in our lives. Right. And, and I think kind of um, also, too, one reason why uh, we're reading this quote is because the title of the chapter, The Savior and Our Need for Saving. Um, and I think last week um, <coughs> Dan preached on this chapter, um, and he kind of explained that a lot of times, sometimes we don't even realize that we need a Savior, um, that we live in a world where people, I mean, we live in a world where Christianity um, is not is not as dominant as it once was and people hear that jesus saves or like jesus saves from what what i need saving from what and what i need saving for too um so when we look at um, um the quote from 48 and 1551 um we see that jesus name um himself as paul has just mentioned is his very name is to save or to deliver and um that's why Jesus came. And, and we also see that, um, I like in, in um, the quote in 1551 where it talks about Jesus' salvation is far more expansive than simply forgiveness and deliverance from hell. Um, because we typically, that's the answer, the um, really generalized answer of what does Jesus save us from? Like, well, um, he saves us from our sins, consequence of our sins, and he deliver, deliver us from hell, like a ticket to heaven card or get out of free jail card um those things are true but it's also some as he says in his quote it's so much more um that christ saves us for um and we're going to touch on those things in the next couple of quotes that we have um all the things that jesus jesus saves us from and things that jesus saves us for as well um so i i like those quotes because one it lays down the foundation for the chapter um, but it also lays down the foundation for why do we follow Jesus? Um, what does he save us from and what does he save us for? So, And even this concept of being saved for something right, is, exactly. is going to be new to a lot of folks. And I, I appreciated Hamilton in the book. He just kind of, uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, shared his experience of being saved and how he uh, looks upon it differently now than he did, I right. think, when he was like 14 and yep. he was saved. and I, th- I think that's very much true for myself and for yeah. so many people. If you came to Christ, especially as a child, and, you know, through Sunday school and uh, VBS and all that stuff, uh, a lot of times, you know, people come up to you and say, are you saved? And, and in your mind, because of the simplified way that it, it is taught and, and in some ways needs to be taught to a yeah, child, right. uh, you know, y- your concept of what it means to be saved is, are you going to heaven? You know, have you been uh, have you accepted Christ into your heart, uh, at least in, in word and maybe trying to indeed? But, uh, you know, as as I've gotten older and, and hopefully matured a little bit, my faith, it's, you know, it's, it's what I'm being saved from isn't just hell. It's from a, a life of meaninglessness. It's from, you know, a lack of hope. It's it's from a lack of peace and, and just a, a life um, just entrenched in conflict and and uh, divisiveness i mean i'm being saved from so much more than just 
uh, my quote-unquote uh, sins and, and the eternal consequence of my sins. I'm, I'm being saved from a uh, life that would be pretty lousy and, and two, a life that has great meaning and a, and a, a powerful dynamic relationship um, or at least opportunity for one with, with Jesus Christ. So what is what does it mean to be saved? You know, somebody comes up and asks, are you saved? Well, yes, you know, we are in that sense in the, you know, saved from my sins, going to heaven. Um, but I, I think it's come to mean also to me, I, I am being saved every day. I'm I'm living into that. And hopefully my life is changing in so many other ways other than where my final destination ultimately is. All right. All right. These next couple of quotes we're going to read um, relate to this because they're all found in the same chapter. So <laughs> all these quotes are going to relate to each other. Very well said. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so on page 52, I actually have, um, I'm going to read three quotes that kind of all go together here. So, uh, but I'll say what pages they're on. So on page 52, um, it says in the New Testament, sin is used to describe the inner um, predeposition or inclination to stray from God's path or nature and actual the and the actual act of strain or actions. Um, then looking at page 54, the middle of page 54, it is both the inner struggle with temptation, the war within us between right and wrong and the act of succumbing to temptation when we stray from the path. The result is suffering, alienation, guilt, and shame. And then on page 57, Jesus saves us from both Jesus saves us both from our inner tendency to sin and the guilt and shame we carry with us when we do sin. When we choose to follow Christ, we find a new center in our lives and a change in our inner desire. It is not that temptation completely vanishes from our lives, but we find a new stronger impulse pulling us towards the right path. We find our hearts transformed little by little. As our inner nature is being changed, our thoughts, words, and deed change. We find ourselves more often intentionally walking the good path. All right, so there's a lot there to break down. So I'm going to kind of begin at the beginning. Kind of begin at the beginning. I am going to begin at the beginning <laughs> here. I'm just stumbling over my words today. Here, um, page 52, when it, when it speaks about he's he's describing sin and the tendency and i i speak to youth about this a lot is that we tend to think of sin as just actions outward actions so if i don't do anything um, i haven't sinned and we just think of sinning as what we do um, but scripture really speaks about the inner tendency the inner temptations the inner um, thought life and emotions and desires um, that those are sin as well, and that's what um, Adam Hamilton is also, is also speaking about and hinting towards, um, that we got to think of sin as much more expansive than what we do, because really when you think about it, um, what we do when we sin, like if we sin, the action of sin is actually the final product of something that began long before we decided to act on it, right? So it begins first in our heart, and we have that desire, and that desire builds, and then it builds, and then becomes something that we mentally think about, and something that we process, and something that we uh, take time of thinking through, and then finally the act happens after all of that. Now, sometimes that sometimes that takes a couple seconds. Sometimes we process that for months or weeks or an hour or two hours, 
but it always begins first in the heart and then works its way towards our hands, um, if that makes sense. So it begins with the desires and then the thoughts and then the action. Um, so what the Bible is all about and what Jesus is all about when, it's called, when he talks about salvation is that we need, and this is also what the Bible says we need to be new creatures or we need new hearts or we need to, quote unquote, die to ourselves. It means that we need to give up our old way of thinking, our old, our old desires, our old um, mentality, and now completely take on um, this new mentality, this new heart, this new desire within us. Um, and actually, when you look at some, a lot of the Psalms, David will speak about his heart desire. He says, Lord, I, I want an undivided heart, or Lord, purify my spirit. I mean, he's talking about his inward life, his inward spiritual life um, that needs to be cleansed um, by God. So um, this desire of this inward desire is even in, spoken about in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So it's not a new concept. Um, it's, a, it's a human um, battle that we fight through. And even when you, if you want to take it all the way back to the beginning, you could look at Adam and Eve. Eve was first tempted, right? The, the serpent was tempting her motives and her desires inwardly before she even ate the apple. Um, she was discussing and having those thoughts internally. Um, so, yeah, this, what Adam Hamilton is talking about is the struggle that we face with temptation, the war between right and wrong, um, that every single day, whether you're a Christian or not, um, we have that that fight that temptation and when you do become a christian i I would actually argue become more aware of the war that's in within you that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak right Um, and even jesus talks about this in the garden of gethsemane Um, he tells his disciples to get up and pray um, because the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak Um, so jesus knew of the temptations that will come if we succumb to our sinful desires desires that are contrary to what god would desire um, and Adam, dis- Adam Hamilton describes this as the path. So essentially, when you sin, you're walking or straying from the path that God desires for you. And you're, and you're taking your own path. And it reminds me a lot of, um, this is a recommendation for Paul, mm-hmm. um, the book, uh, no, nah, nah, it's, it's slipped my mind. Um, oh, boy. Shoot. Yeah, the book, uh, oh man, the guy who went on the journey. That's what it's called. No, <laughs> <laughs> man, this is this is, uh, it's um, a book about a journey that narrows it down. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, oh man, I'll have to get back to it. Why don't I talk and then you yeah, you you talk and I'll find this book since real quick. we have the World Wide Web at our fingertips. Right, exactly. Yeah. So these uh, these three notions of sin, I think, summarizing wh- where Hamilton's going with this, he says we have this this tendency to sin, this inner temptation, uh, the the acts of uh, sin themselves. So sin is an action, and then the guilt uh, that follows, which isn't necessarily sin in and of itself, but oh, so it God. is something that God saves us from. Programs, Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. Yes. <laughs> Actually, it was it's another classic. one I was supposed to read in there high school, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I don't know if you it. read that one in high school. It's, I mean, it's str- it's very Christian, but okay. yeah, that's what reminds me of the path because huh. Pilgrim's Progress is all about the guy who's, I think his name is Christian, and he it's it's like a giant parable. Ooh. Like a huge uh, okay. parable. All right. It's actually, I, I tried to read through it. And I did, I'll, I'll confess I tried to read through it. I couldn't finish it because it's, it's pretty dense. It's longer, Ooh. and it's a, definitely it's a classic, too. So one of those you definitely like want to read and listen to at the same oh, time. Yeah, like for you're, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I'll put I'll put that on my list and I'll report yeah. back <laughs> how long yes. I how long I make it. Yeah. Um, but uh, these different notions that God saves us from the, our tendency to sin, the the act of sin itself, and the guilt from sin. Uh, and I think that as humans, we we tend to try to address those things which we understand, we feel like we understand, and which are easiest to address. So if if my two problems happen to be that I am tempted and I have a tendency towards sin, and I s- commit acts of sin themselves, and I got to combat one of those, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the second one. I'm gonna say, well, I'm not really sure how to change my insides, but I, I feel like, you know, I should be able to stop, uh, you know, using uh, profanity. I should be able to stop going to that, that website that I shouldn't go to. I should be able to stop um, yelling at my kids, you know. And, and so we try and address these acts of, of sin, but we never really get to the, the root of the problem. And, and Jesus gives us uh, salvation from, from both, from all of that. And it's so many, uh, so many people get so focused on the acts of sin themselves, which is kind of a, a legalistic, ends up being like a legalistic faith, a way to approach your faith, that it's just about all these rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. And, and it is, but that's all kind of the, the end. You need to figure out the means to the end, the root of all of this, how we end up in that, that position where we struggle with the do's and don'ts is, is because we're not really embracing Jesus's uh, salvation is, is saving power to free us from the temptations in the first place or to redefine who we are. Uh, so we have a, a difference, as, as Hamilton um, describes it, a, a different center to our lives and uh, our inner desires are, are changed and transformed. Our hearts are transformed little by little. Our, our inner nature is changed. So that ultimately is is the uh, the goal to be transformed. It's not just to stop doing this, this, and, and that other thing. And Jesus gives us the ability to do that, but it's, it takes more than just knowing right and wrong and trying to commit our willpower to uh, checking off all these things that we shouldn't be doing. It's, it requires relationship. It requires um, you know time and energy, communication, and, and ultimately transformation from the inside out and then once that happens the trickle down effect is uh that we we see some of those acts those sinful acts begin to dissipate because we have no desire uh to to do them to we're not pulled in that direction anymore truly our our default setting in life has has changed (laughs) we we begin to see ourselves differently we expect different things of ourselves we we enjoy different things out of life and out of our relationships um, and that's why the Bible talks about rebirth, this uh, getting baptized because you're reborn as a Christian. You go down as uh, to in, in your life of sin and you're reborn, not as just as somebody who knows the list of things not to do, but you're reborn as somebody whose internal desires, identity and very purpose in life has been transformed. And, and that needs to be our goal uh, so much bigger than just checking off the list of things that we shouldn't do and all of it's rooted in in God's love and that's the catalyst for all of it is um, knowing that we are loved and loved unconditionally uh, by our creator and that's what gives us the ability uh, and and the the power the energy to make that transformation little by little day by day 
So our, our uh, next quote as we truck along here, we're on page uh, 60, and we'll partner this with a, another quote that's also similar in nature. Uh, but this is just kind of a, a profession by Hamilton uh, that I thought was uh, interesting. Stephen brought to the surface for us uh, as well. I'm not the person I hope to be yet, nor am I the person Christ wants me to be, but I'm also not the person I would have been were it not for his rescuing grace in my life. Uh, so just a, kind of a powerful personal statement from Adam Hamilton that hopefully is true of all of us. And uh, going right along with that, jumping to page 71, uh, he says, Jesus is not finished with you yet. He will walk with you and he will work in and through you. Your task is to trust him and keep following him. In Jesus, God came to save us from the despair that comes from believing there is no meaning to life or to our lives in particular. He came to save us from our sense that we have no value and worth and that there is no reason to go on. He came to rescue us from feeling there is no hope. With him by our side, there is always hope. So, uh, you know, all of us are are moving towards something. And if we place Christ at the center of our lives, or we are um, ultimately going to be in a better place than we were in the past. You know, so the message here to me is um, it's always better to do life with Jesus. Uh, and, and we can't get so wrapped up in, um, you know, where we should be or, or where, you know, how far along on this journey we, we should be and how many setbacks we've had. Uh, God doesn't care about that stuff. He, he wants us uh, in the moment to be where we need to be and to be focused on where we're we're heading and uh, to be focused on him throughout and if our focus is on him um, it, it, even Paul said if keep your eye on the prize the prize is not some sort of uh, perfect image of the perfect human being or who I can and should be the the, the prize is Jesus keep your eyes on the prize and uh, and you will finish the race and you will run the good race it was Peter uh, on the the surface of the Sea of Galilee, he kept his eye on Jesus, and and uh, he he could have kept from sinking. He could have maintained um, that that position of of miraculousness, that that ability to do and and live in a way that um, he otherwise couldn't. You know, I think that's symbolic uh, in that story. Is this notion: keep your eyes on the prize, and the prize is not some end destination of what a human being should look like or, or what society even expects me to be. It, it is, it is Jesus. So if Jesus is our focus, then all of this takes care of itself. It's always better to do life with Jesus. Um, and, and even if we get lost along the way, at least we, we still have our compass, right? At least because we've changed our default setting, we know wh where up is, we know where down is. Uh, we know what's healthy. We know what's not, and we have the tools and hopefully the people around us who love us that can help us get back on track. Um, yeah, and I, I like this quote as well. It's, it's, um, it goes back to what we had said in the beginning um, of this podcast um, when reading the quotes from Anna Hamilton about what does Jesus save us from and what does Jesus save us for. Um, you could say that Jesus saves us from meaninglessness and hopelessness. Um, and actually, I'm going to read another quote um, that connects with this is pretty closely on page 77. It says that this is precisely what Jesus does for us in his life and in his death. He saves us from lovelessness, 
Um, you are loved regardless of what anyone else might say. You are loved regardless of how unloved you may feel. And at this particular moment, at this particular moment, you are loved. Um, so again, it's, it's what does Jesus save us for? He saves us for love. Um, he saves us for hope. He saves us for meaning. Um, and Jesus is also saving us from that, saving us from lovelessness and meaninglessness and hopelessness. Um, because really, and I, again, I would argue, um, I really want people to do their own, re their own research and study, but um, when, when you read, um, especially if you read about um, what does it mean to be an atheist, um, and it sounds very, it can sound very <laughs> hopeless, all right, because atheists, they don't believe there's nothing after death, there's the only meaning in life is basically gratifying your desires, get everything you can now, because it's going to be over soon, and and I think and we live in a very secular society that's stripped, that has stripped religion from everything. And, and when you do that, um, you're leaving people without this, you, they don't fill the void. So secularism can really strip religion out, um, but then leave this huge void where you have people like, okay, and how do I find meaning? So um, they go to sports and, and websites and lust after things, and they fill... Or what they own and the pride of life and all these things that we seek to fill the void um, that was left. Um, and I'm not saying that when <laughs> the religion is at the center society, society the way it is right now is perfect. Um, it's not going to be perfect until Jesus comes again um, in his kingdom. Um, but um, it does, Christianity does today, right now, we can feel um, that kingdom come, right? We can feel that kingdom come in our lives as Jesus gives us hope, meaning, and life, and love that we, are, we know we're loved, right? Um, even in moments when we struggle, even the moment we sin, right, that Jesus still loves us because he died on the cross while we were still sinners, right? Jesus didn't wait for us to be perfect and then die. He died while we were still sinners. So even in the moments after we sin or even the moment where we're in sin right jesus still loves us that he wants us to come to us and and i know that the guilt and the shame um can keep us from prayer and can keep us from the word and and and, and it causes us to hide just like adam and eve hid from god right right after they sinned they hid from god and god called out to them right god is the one who called out to them they didn't call out for god and we have to keep that as a reminder that jesus came to us and he's reaching out for us Right. We didn't seek God. We're not seeking God. It's Jesus who's seeking us. So um, my prayer is that that we have hearts that um, res are receptive um, to receiving God and, and, and a mind um, that's also receptive to being transformed by the word of God, um, knowing that Jesus has come to save us. And, and what hope and what hope is that? That's huge hope and a huge joy to have, not just in the life to come, but the life today. Um, all right, the final quote we have um, on page 78. Um, final quote is finally, it starts with finally. Uh, <laughs> the, the greatest existential crisis we face as human beings is death. It is an enemy we cannot cheat or avoid. But in his death and resurrection, Jesus not only triumphed over evil, hate, and sin, but he defeated death itself. So... Um, the accumulation of what Jesus saves us from is death. Um, not just 
And I would argue, too, not just physical death, but also spiritual death. Um, because in the garden, Adam and Eve didn't just, um, they didn't physically die, but they spiritually died. Their connection with God and their connection with each other had been broken. Um, it, it was death. Um, so we, even in our, Jesus comes to break that chain of death so that we can have a living relationship with God, with Jesus, in a living relationship with each other. Um, and obviously this takes a process to grow spiritually, um, but also Jesus has saved us from physical death. Um, and we see, and we also have the evidence, right? So we never, there's only one person in the world who has died and come back again, and that's Jesus. And Jesus testifies to us about the heavenly kingdom that awaits us to those who place their faith and trust in him. Right, so we have that ultimate victory in death because we, as sad as it is, and as as much as our culture tries to cover it up, um, death is is the future that we all face, and it's very sad, <laughs> it can be very depressing. And as I've grown older, um, as I grow older, it's harder and harder because I'm seeing older folks who were in my life when I was young are are passing away, and I'm, I'm starting to hit that age where. Um, people who I grew up and knew who were older are, are, are passing away, and you're just, it's just a shock to the system. Um, but Christ gives us that foundation to, um, to have hope, hope for the lives of those who pass away, but hope also for our own lives as we all are going to meet the same fate. Um, but also the next thing that comes after death, right, is, is the life of Christ. We are <coughs> ultimately saved from death because Jesus was saved from death and uh, yeah we've come full circle haven't we this is yeah. we're back to the you know, the definition of salvation and this is almost that sunday school definition of salvation okay. that we stated earlier is is not the be all end all but it is still absolutely essential and uh, well worth celebrating in fact uh, we have an entire holiday season uh surrounding celebrating this this very fact that Jesus uh, has, has been rescued from death and, and extends that same rescue and that victory to us. So we are not um, we are not uh, people who are going to succumb eternally to death. And um, I think that getting back to that Sunday school definition, what it means to be saved, oh, it means that I'm, I'm going to live forever. Death doesn't hold me down. That's great. Well worth celebrating. But being rescued from death has no meaning if we're not at the same time being handed a new and, and meaningful life. Right. <clears throat> so yeah. we can't get there without uh, Jesus saving us from, from death, but um, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it if we're not moving on to something new and beautiful and better. And so I think both kind of clearly go hand in hand and you can't have one without um, the other. And, and uh, so I think we need to get better um, at uh, especially maybe speaking with children about the importance of not just uh, evading death but living a meaningful life and that that's really what our faith is rooted in. Um, and, and I think uh, I'll, I'll send us off today with the lyrics from a, a Michael W. Smith song from uh, going back to my childhood. Did you memorize this song? I didn't memorize it. Uh. As you were looking up your uh, your. Pilgrim's Progress oh, there. Yeah, yeah. I was also, yeah. Looking up Michael W. Smith songs. Michael W. Smith songs. That's a good, that should be one of your fit segments that you, on your free time, you 
look up Michael W. Smith songs. I'm sure that would be highly <laughs> interesting and thought provoking for our audience <laughs> to know to know what I Google in my free time. <laughs> yes. Or maybe maybe too interesting and yeah. thought provoking. But uh I think just sticking with this concept that uh it all begins with love and this transformation process and the salvation process that is so much more than just evading death. It it starts with an acceptance of of the love of Jesus Christ. And our default uh, setting in life has changed when we become people who are known to others and known to ourselves as being loved by the Savior of the universe. And Michael W. Smith wrote a song called Never Been Unloved. Um, And these are the lyrics. I have been unfaithful. I have been unworthy. I have been unrighteous. And I have been unmerciful. I have been unreachable. I have been unteachable. I have been unwilling, and I have been undesirable. Sometimes I have been unwise, I've been undone by what I'm unsure of. But because of you and all that you went through, I know that I have never been unloved. I have been unbroken, I have been unmended, I have been uneasy, and I've been unapproachable. I've been unemotional, I've been unexceptional, I've been undecided, and I have been unqualified. Unaware, I have been unfair. I've been unfit for blessings from above. But even I can see the sacrifice you made for me and the show that I have never been unloved. So we've been on a lot of things in life, and most of it because of our own sinfulness, our own waywardness. But uh, one thing that we have never been is unloved. And being loved, and especially being loved by the Savior of the universe, is enough uh, for all of us uh, to be and accomplish anything that God puts in, in front of us. And uh, I think that also is the, ultimately the, the message, underlying message of, of Christmas, uh, that, that love was sent to us and, and meant to be attainable to us uh, in this life, uh, that we might be transformed by it. So uh, any concluding remarks here, Mr. Young? Uh, it's funny that you... <laughs> I feel really bad, though, because when you read the Michael W. Smith song, it reminded me of a song I heard yesterday, and I just pulled up the lyrics. So would it be weird if I read it? Is it, is it <laughs> any good? Yeah, yeah it's good. Okay. So I so if anyone has um, Spotify, like um, I've had it for a couple years now, but I've absolutely loved Spotify because you can find artists on it that you'll never find anywhere else. So I found this artist, and it's, again, I'm not reading this because Paul read his, but <laughs> um, this artist, his song was really good because it reminded me of love, um, being loved by God. And and I think the lyrics are really good, too. Um, it says, uh, when I when I feel my hope is burning, the, the world's weight on top of me, you say, child, why are you guilt? Why are you guilty? Can't you see I've made you clean and can't? And I can't give an answer. I just fall down on my knees and you say, child, why are you worried? Can't you see I've set you free? You are loved. You are loved. A wandering soul inside me. I choose the world again. And I know the lights are binding, but it's got to have its end. Can't you see I'm dirty? Can't you see my mess? Oh, God, how could you how could you love me? I'm not good enough for this. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I thought it just reminded me of that song. Um, even as I read it, I start to, it's almost like this, this, it's just got a tinge of emotion there <laughs> because it's just so good because 
um, you're reminded of your of our own lives and that we're unworthy of God's love. Um, even after you become a Christian, you struggle with through life, you know, and life is long, life is hard. Um, but you know that there's a God that loves you even when you make your mistakes and your sins and and that God loves you through the struggle. Um, and that's just, um, it's phenomenal, you know, and I think it's something that as Christians, we shouldn't just overlook, right? It's not something, I think we just take it for granted, right? We just think of grace and mercy, oh, forgiveness. We just take for granted. We just kind of skip along and don't think anything of it um, when we actually have this beautiful um, opportunity, this beautiful God that loves us um, through our struggles and our sins. And we have the greatest advocate, the greatest love, the greatest helper that we could ever imagine. And many people in the world are seeking what we have in Christ, right? Mm. That's what they're seeking, and we have it. And, and, and a lot of times we don't take advantage of that. We don't fall on our knees and, and receive what God has to offer us. So, um, yeah, hopefully this, um, this discussing this chapter has, has benefited your faith and, and, and um, really strengthened you. And I think... Again, as I spoke about early beginning of the podcast, um, this study has really helped us and us and Paul, <laughs> me and Paul, <laughs> uh, or Paul and I. Sorry, she's grammar. I think um, it would be me. Yeah. What? I Is think it, it would be Paul, Paul and me. No, that was Paul and I. No, right. it depends on the context. Uh, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, my my English teacher taught me a rule about that back in the day, and I oh. won't bore you with it. But I, I don't know. Huh, I don't know. Maybe. Leave maybe. us a comment yeah, in leave the comments. <laughs> right. How <laughs> how should we pronounce it? Your your first opportunity right. to leave a comment for Paul and Stephen yeah. to tell us which one's correct. Maybe we should run it past your daughter because I know she's a grammar Nazi. Are you um, talking to me? Yeah. Your oh, okay. Not my daughter doesn't know anything about grammar. <laughs> I thought you met a daughter of somebody in the no, audience. No, your daughter. That, that would be um, weird. Okay. Yeah, because she's she's really good at grammar. She should really be an editor. She should. Yeah. Well, she is. She just doesn't get paid for it yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. But once she does, she's gonna make a lot of money. Um, looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to that. Spoken like any good parent um, who wants to take the money from their kids. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, thank you all for listening, and um, hopefully we can see you Sunday and see you in person. And as we're coming to Christmas Eve, we'll um, give you updates on services and times. Well, most of that's already in the bulletin now. But um, again, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.